You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's going to shake it, shake it, shake it like a Polaroid picture. It's Jeff McLarge. That's right. I think if you shake it more than twice, it counts as something. Is that the other part of that song? Something like that. It's Mr. Something like Mr. Jeff McLarge to you. Yes. What's going on? How are you? I feel like we haven't talked in a while. Definitely feels that way. Yeah, I'm good. I've been been relaxing and... uh, you know, enjoying that we're in 2022 when it isn't raining fire. <laughs> Not yet. Um, Relaxing. That's something I've heard a lot about. I'm yet to try it. Yeah, it's one of those I force myself to see that or I'm going to be forced to relax by people with <laughs> lots and lots of letters after their name. <laughs> and I don't want that. Hey, speaking of which, I, I found myself, you know, with all this ample free time I have now, uh, looking at, I went on a Genesis kick. Like I, yeah, I'm a, you know, for those of you who don't know, I, I like records and I'm a music nerd. Yes. And I bought some Genesis albums and was really enjoying going back and listening to like 1980s Genesis, pop Genesis. When I was doing my album of the day, actually, we talked about this not long ago when we were talking about the Illegal Alien song for Worst Song Ever. That Genesis album, the self-titled one, is just phenomenal. Yes. And that's that's one of the ones I picked up. I picked up No Jacket Required, which is apparently in every single music store. That is a I Phil used. Collins solo album. Yes, yes. But I mean, it's, it falls into like that Mike and the Mechanics and Genesis time period as well. Right. And it the songs are all interchangeable. Sure. I'm like, hey, they just did a farewell tour. I think they're done. Or they're going to be done in the end of springtime. Yeah, they're wrapping it up around bet, now. I, yeah, yeah. I bet, I bet I can find a couple of clips of the show. I never should have done I that. I was about to say, dude, you re- instantly regret it because I did that too. I don't even know what my feelings were. I've seen like, I'm going to call this an old, I'm going to say old man bands. I don't mean it in a pejorative, but where the lead singer is elderly. Yes. Now. And like Per Ubu is elderly. <laughs> um, when Dave Thomas comes out to sing for Per Ubu, sits in a rocking chair because he's barely ambulatory. Still, you know, rocks out hard and rocks <laughs> in, in a chair right. on stage. But he's clearly like collecting social security for a long time age, you know? Yeah. And, it, and also, I mean, I mean, you're, you're going to see them at like a, a club with a capacity of under 500 yeah. kind of a deal. Oh, for sure. You know, Genesis yeah. is filling up arenas. I don't know. Whenever I go see like an arena show, I'm expecting a little bit more of a of, of a spectacle. Yeah, it was a spectacle, all right. <laughs> yeah, not spectacles like you wear on your eyes. So you can read the lyric sheet in front of you, right? I kept thinking that like whoever's recording this for the love of all that is right with the world please turn the camera enough to look at the audience because i want to see if their faces are all in sort of a rictus of horror <laughs> like this uncomfortable staring at the screen like maybe we should have just stayed home we shouldn't have come yeah, to this show yeah you almost feel bad for making him do this 
I, right, it was like, let's plast a, a hat around and get some, fill some money. And I was, I kept waiting for somebody to jump on stage and go like, hey, hey you know what, that, 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 quiet down, everybody. All right, I, I, maybe it's just best that you leave because <laughs> he's, he's so frail. Yeah. And I was, I felt so bad. I couldn't enjoy the music and his voice is still, it's like 90%. Yeah. You know, and he still has banter with the audience and stuff. It's just the visual is so, is so disheartening to see. For somebody as charismatic as Phil Collins is, yeah, to see him just like sitting in a chair with like an Argyle sweater vest and basically looking like Phil Collins imitating an old Phil Collins in a 1980s music video. Yeah. And the music is good. And like, you know, I'm watching Mike Rutherford, who still got kind of long hair and he's playing. And I'm like, you know, guys, like there's lots of bands to see. We could see one of the younger bands. Right. Right. And like, what's going on in your lives, guys, that you like, did the record companies really burn you that bad that you have to be out here touring at a a combined age of 500 years old? You know, my friend Tom and I, we go see a lot of concerts and we go see a lot of old man concerts, you know, and he messaged me about that. He goes, do you want to go see Genesis? And I was like, I do. But I don't think this is going to be it, though. <laughs> yeah, I was. I felt bad. And it's like, uh, I, I like the music, and I, I'm i glad that they're still, I'm saying active with air quotes, I'm, that they're still active, and I, it's good that they're touring, I, I think. I just felt really, really strange watching it because it, it seems so sad. You know what it is? Uh. You know what the bad part about it is? It's, it's a farewell tour and, and on so many levels. But aside from the Farewell Tour, we have our award-winning and always very popular and well-received trivia question. As you may have read, I am a big Halloween guy. And Halloween is one of those, you know, primarily American holidays. It's not celebrated in a lot of other countries. Uh, However, the catchphrase, trick or treat, which is synonymous with Halloween, is not American. Which country uh is uh the country of origin for the catchphrase trick-or-treat i am pretty sure that the country of origin for the phrase trick-or-treat is one of the trickiest countries in europe and that would be germany it is not germany oh no you will have to wait until the end of the show for the answer. But until so no tricks or treats for me. No tricks and or treats for you. Until that day, until that very moment, you are gonna have to wait. Uh, but for now, this is the week beginning January the seventeenth, and I believe it is your turn to start. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. January seventeenth. <laughs> 1972. A section of Memphis, Tennessee's Highway 51 South is renamed Elvis Presley Boulevard, also one of the most traffic-congested areas in all of Tennessee. Ironically... That, that artery it's, that artery of the highway <laughs> system is clogged? Is that what you're telling me? That artery of the highway system is clogged <laughs> and remained clogged until about 1977 when a massive traffic jam <laughs> brought it down. I mean, we picked this one because it's it's easy to make the Elvis joke. And the Elvis impersonations. Uh, and do the do our our legendary now legendary Elvis impersonations. Oh, I can't get my car out of the garage, <laughs> Priscilla. I, I can't get anything out of the garage. It's all it's all stuffed up. This stuff. All right, so. you made this joke in the pre-show, but you're obviously not going to take it, so I'm going to take it. That's all right. Go it's, for uh, it. Apparently, this section of the highway too had the uh, the most amount of fast food joints in the city. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be that makes sense, right? Uh, 
Okay, I'm just gonna get a cheeseburger, <laughs> beef and bean burrito. Is all is gonna be delicious there. Everybody always uh, makes the peanut butter nana sandwiches uh, jokes, uh, but that actually wasn't Elvis Presley's uh, biggest thing that he liked to eat. His actual favorite snack was deep fried pickles. Mm. Actually, I like those. I'm not gonna lie. Elvis and I have that in common. I had never even thought about deep fried pickles and working at haunted houses we have a lot of carny food and stuff like that and they they was this one stand that would deep fry your mother if you paid them enough yeah they had deep fried pickles over there and hey not bad i've had them at some of the like the burger places the uh, high-end burger places around as pickle nickels they're very tasty and they give me ripping heartburn but it's worth Uh, it (laughs) moving on to january the 18th January the 18th, 1990, the Washington, D.C. mayor, Marion Barry, is filmed by the FBI smoking crack in a hotel room. Uh, Marion Barry, America's favorite crack-smoking mayor. (laughs) I remember this surveillance footage all over the news. Yeah, and like that was Saturday Night Live fodder for like most of that year. You know, 1990, Marion Barry was, that was just a punchline. His name even sounds like a joke. Yeah. It rhymes, so therefore it's easy fodder. And let's just talk about this for a second. Talk about not f***ing around. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you want to smoke pot? You know, okay, I can kind of look the other way. Okay, a little tootsie up the nose. All right, I understand everybody. Crack? You know, (laughs) crack was marketed in like the mid-80s as just like a ghetto drug, you know? This is the mayor of the city. I'm sure he's got some money. He can afford better stuff than, you know, crack. And it's funny, like, his his defense for all this was, like, one, it was a sting, and two, it was he was set up by his political opponents and the woman who was, a like, a, an escort that he was with in the hotel was being paid by the political opponents to do this. And ultimately, he did some time, but then he got elected again. <laughs> like you said, America's favorite crack-smoking mayor. Favorite yeah. crack-smoking mayor, yeah. <laughs> a website I used to moderate back in the olden days of the yeah. internet. And in a conversation about uh, bad band names, one of the band names that someone proposed was the Marion Barry and the Bitch Set Me Up. <laughs> <laughs> And they made like an album cover with the surveillance footage of him smoking crack in it. It was really funny. <sighs> oh, those are the days. Moving on to the 19th. Uh, January 19th. The first MS-DOS virus is, is unleashed. It was a, a floppy boot sector disc, which we'll explain in detail in a minute. Yep. And it was known as Brain. And what it did was pretended to be something that protected medical files. Okay. But it actually slowed the floppy drive down. That's all it did? And... Yeah, it didn't damage any data. It just slowed the floppy drive down. That was just like a bunch of pugs like, hey, guess what I can do? You know? Look what I can do. Yeah. I can make your floppy drive take eight hours to open a f- program instead of 7.9. <laughs> and it was known as Brain. Yeah. And what do you want to do today, Brain? Slow down everybody's hard drive. <laughs> with, with me slowing the RPMs from 300 to 286, I will rule the world. It keeps blinking. Blink, blink. But it's not blinking as fast. <laughs> Instead of going, um, it's going. Two guys that created are still are still in business, and their company is called Brain Telecommunications Limited. Bastards! So. Boy, what a dick swing that is! All right, uh, real quick, explain what a boot sector virus is. All right, a boot sector virus is a is a virus that's a. This is before hard drives are a thing. Mm-hmm. So before the computer starts up, it has to load its it has to load an operating system. In the boot sector, and it says, this is a computer, it has this capability, if it has this capability, then go here to this file and start reading the program so that you can boot up. Uh-huh. So what it is, it's the very first thing that the computer reads in it, and it, it determines in what boot order programs are going to load. 
okay. in the operating system. And all that this one does is it slows down. Well, you've got a floppy drive that does 3,000 RPM as well. Then set speed to 250 RPM. And that's kind of what the boot sector virus does. Yeah. I remember one time in the early days of AOL, somebody sent me a virus and it changed my computer that everything I typed, it would just type vulgarities. Like I could type in, hello, mom, how are you today? It would come out, fuck you in the ass, you piece of shit. Nice. All right, moving on to the 20th. Hey, speaking of viruses, <laughs> January the 20th, 1982, at an Ozzy Osbourne concert, a fan tosses a dead bat up onto the stage. Ozzy, thinking that it's a rubber bat because he just assumed that nobody in their right mind would throw an actual bat on the stage, picks up said bat and bites it in the head. And then realizes he just bit into a actual bat. Nice. Uh, yeah, he had to be taken to the hospital and given a bunch of rabies shots. Are you saying that I might have rabies? Is that what it is? Yep. Is it's not heroin you're shooting me? It's rabies. Yeah. Is that right? Sharon, is this okay? So the story that, that followed the beginning of his solo career, like, right, that was, yeah, that was, was one yeah. of the things that came up as a topic in every single anti-rock and roll thing that we ever heard as children. Yep, typical Gore lost their ever-loving mind on that one. Oh, he's been hit in my bed! Blah, 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 blah. So it was on purpose. Also, a uh, couple of things about rabies. One, rabies is also known as hydrophobia, which, you know, is a fear of water, so to speak. And one of Ozzy's Biggest moves, if you ever see him on stage, he'll take, like, a big bucket of water and just dump it over his head. It's like, oh, look how crazy. It's like it's, a, it's like a living Gatorade commercial. What he's doing is he's pissing, and he's just, like, right. basically covering it up by dumping water in his head. Another thing, another fun bit about rabies is they do it differently now, but back in 1982, the rabies vaccine was a series, not just one, a series of abdominal abdominal shots you know when you even yeah. get your vaccine they shoot you right in the arm and, yep. and then your arm is so not with rabies yeah with the rabies shots that's different now but back then yeah it was like a, i don't remember how many it was it was several though it's it's 10 is it 10 my dad had to get them, okay yeah. yeah 10 shots into your abdomen mm-hmm. yeah that's not fun at all super fun yeah uh, did you ever see an animal with rabies Bill? No. I had a rabid raccoon in my yard. This is you know, years ago at the other house. Like, I'm watching it. It's foaming at the mouth, and it's got no hair because it's pulled all its hair off, right. and it's, like, running around in circles in the yard. And I was like, get in the house, kids. I'll go out and try and chase it away or something. And when animals have wild animals have rabies, they want to be your friend. <laughs> They're like, hi, person. Hello, buddy. And it came running. I was like, oh, no. And hid in the house, and then it went into garage, and it attacked my paint cans. <laughs> For like a half an hour, it was in there like fighting the paint cans. All right, moving on to the 21st. 21st. So Pontiac, which used to be a car company that was owned by General Motors in 1954, shows off the very first gas turbine automobile. It's exhibited at the New York City Auto Show. Mm -hmm. And it's special because it's the very first time that some insane person thought, you know, those jet planes are pretty awesome. But what if we couldn't make one that flew and just drove around on top of a giant jet engine? It's <laughs> kind of what the Firebird was. It was a, a gas turbine engine powered car. And if you see pictures of it, it looks like a rocket ship, which will instantly kill you. <laughs> and it was shown as a proof of concept. Not long after this, a couple of other companies started to build jet turbine cars. National Highway Transportation Safety Board said, no, <laughs> you can't make those. No. 
Crush those, please. And they all got crushed. The Firebird toured around for years. I think there's still a prototype in somewhere in the GM, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Ark of the Covenant <laughs> part of their warehouse. Right. But it's a really neat looking car and was meant to demonstrate that it could perform the same way that a six-cylinder, eight-cylinder car could with all of the complicated technology of a jet turbine <laughs> engine. I, I'm not sure what the benefit of this is, but it was wicked loud. Yep. It was really uncomfortable to drive. It was horrifically dangerous, and it was full of jet fuel. <laughs> it's great. Even the only guy that was rated in the United States to drive it yep. was afraid to drive it. I'm looking at pictures of them now. It's almost like the Batmobile with the, the, the things that shoot out the back yeah. of it. Yep. Yeah. Imagine that. Like you're in, like walking through the, you know, supermarket parking lot, mm-hmm. and somebody's like, "Boom! Flames everywhere! Ah, my legs! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! No, oh, you burned up my seltzer. It was on the bottom of the carriage. Oh! Why on earth? I mean, that's like one of those things, and we talk about this on a number of different subjects. But just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Should. Yeah. It's one of those like, hey, watch this. Yeah. What are you, you going to do with that? I'm going to I'm going to put it in a car. And you know, we're at the point. And now where automotive technology is transitioning to different propulsion systems. It's not the first time, right? Right. Back in the 1890s, there were electric motored cars, as well as steam-powered cars and gasoline-powered engines. And all of those things sort of fought for dominance for a while until gasoline won out because the fuel was the cheapest. Right. And now as we're becoming more dependent on battery powers for cars and the batteries have the capacity that make them practical to drive, we're moving away from internal combustion engines. Maybe, you know, down the road we'll find another way for the sort of the technology in jet turbines to make a way to come back. Yeah. As the technology changes, and there'll be that sort of fight for dominance of technology again. I, I yeah, I remember during the the big gas crunch during the last years of George W. Bush and the early years of Obama. You know, everybody was kind of like scrambling to come up with a new technology, and then the gas prices went down, and nobody gave a crap anymore. Right. But I remember there was talk of like hydrogen cars, and I'm like, that doesn't sound like a good idea at all. Yeah, <laughs> didn't you remember the Hindenburg? That was a terrible thing. Yeah, like the hyd- there was hydrogen, there was um, liquid natural gas or uh, compressed natural gas, and all of those fell by the wayside as soon as the gas prices went down again. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And people were like, "I'm not buying one of those little sissy cars. I'm gonna buy me a gigantic truck." And that's kind of where we're at now, still with a turbine engine in it. Fire comes out of the back. Yeah, I- I'm wondering. Like, with the gas mileages on these turbine engines, I mean, just knowing what I know about turbine engines, is like, highway mileage, 40 miles to the gallon. City mileage, 0.005 miles to the gallon. <laughs> that was another problem with them, is, is they were very good if they were at speed. Right. Uh, once they got up to, you know, they got to the thrust balance where the, you know, thrust was keeping the car moving at 50 <laughs> or 60 miles an hour above was fine. It was just sipping fuel. But getting it up to that speed was like just, it was like, gurgle, gurgle, give me more gas, you know? All right, so moving on to the 22nd, 2018, just a couple of years ago, Netflix becomes the largest digital media and entertainment company in the world worth $100 billion. Let me say that again, because I don't think I've uh, put enough emphasis on that B, $100 billion. That's a lot of jingle. That is a lot of jingle. That's a lot of zeros. All that money gets spent on Netflix, though. You know it. Because, like, where else are you going to go find Caddyshack 2 and potentially the Dennis the Menace movies? 
The thing with Netflix is like I can never find anything. Yeah, yeah it's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a, a company who's basically in the business of making you look around for stuff and never watching anything. Yeah, right. There's so much I can't stand. It's just too much stuff. It's just too much stuff. I, I have the hardest time finding things to watch if I'm looking at Netflix, and I hate that it. If I pause for a second to like look at what's on the screen, it starts playing the trailer. All of a sudden, there's somebody talking to me. It's oh, like, God, I don't shut like up. that. Yeah, I wish. No, they... make that go away. That's a terrible thing. I wish they had an option for that. Yeah, please don't. Yeah. Please I, don't. There is an option. Use a different service. <laughs> <laughs> That's the option that I tend to use more I, than anything else. Yeah, like, I think Netflix. The reason why their catalog of movies and stuff like that is so like I'm gonna say mediocre on their streaming service. Is so that you'll watch their original series? Because actually, the original series are pretty good. I think what happened is like all the other companies that make entertainment mm -hmm. realized that they didn't have the barrier to entry to streaming their entertainment. As long as they threw enough money at the problem, they could effectively copy Netflix. Okay. Yeah. So you've got Paramount who's like, oh, well, I'll just put all of the Paramount catalog in here and Netflix can't have it anymore after, you know, one year from now. And then HBO kind of does the same sort of thing. And then Disney, because they already have agreements. And then all of a sudden now the you know, instead of having a single place where people can go to get all the stuff from all these different places, there's a hundred different places to get stuff and it's all compartmentalized. Right. Because, I, yeah, I remember all the Marvel movies used to be on Netflix and now they're all on Disney. Right. And you can't have them, Netflix. And Netflix is also, I think, still one of the most expensive services. Yeah, it goes up every like six months. I, I get it free through my cable system. I don't even know how much they charge anymore. They they give it to me for free. Now, yeah, yeah it's, it's I'm making air quotes. It's free through your cable system. Hey, my bill went up $24. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, free Netflix now. Yeah, well, wait a minute. <laughs> and Netflix actually belongs to part of one of the most financially disastrous blunders ever because yeah. way back when Blockbuster had the option to buy Netflix for something relatively cheap. It was like a million or a couple of million. It wasn't all that much. I think it was almost $1 billion and they said no. I think it was a lot of money. And, but it wasn't a, it wasn't the sort of money that we're looking at as network as they're worth now. Right. You know what I mean? I think it was a small money related to what their worth is, but it was still a lot of money at the time. All right. I just brought it up. Yeah, they tried to sell to Netflix to Blockbuster for $50 million, which is mm -hmm. still a drop of rain and a rainstorm compared to $100 billion. Hey, things worked out well for somebody, I guess, and Blockbuster, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, you can still read the tweets from the last Blockbuster and they got that going for you. I'm not sure. I think they're a, closed now. And I'm, yeah, I think the last one is actually like in Alaska or something, which makes sense. <laughs> and it was really funny. Like, we can see you looking in the window. We're open. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Blockbuster, not just a place where parents drop off the kids and, and supervised visitations and stuff. It was really funny. All right. And let's wrap it up on the 23rd. January 23rd, 1986. The first group of artists inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame takes place in, with a big ceremony, and that's Chuck Berry, James Brown, Ray Charles, Fats Domino, the Everly Brothers, Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee Lewis, and uh, thank you very much, Elvis Presley. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. <laughs> well, apparently, you know what? He's named after a highway. Bill. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I've heard of that. It's where, all, it's where all the McDonald's are. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has always been kind of like hilarious to me because I don't know anybody that likes the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, everybody bitches about it and says it's bullshit. But at the same time, they always want their favorite bands to be put in there. 
you know? Yeah, it's it's funny, and everybody everybody complains that this band didn't get in, and this band did instead. It's like, you know, they, I don't have a list of the inductees in front of me, so this list may be incorrect. So bear with me, people who write emails. Um, but like, oh my god, they like inducted Tony Orlando and Don. They suck. And Pearl Jam, they're not inducted. They're great. And I'm yeah, I'm like, I don't care. Right. <laughs> I'm I'm like one of those like I don't think they care. It's not like they get anything. It's not like they can go there and be like, I'm in here. Like, yeah, look, dude, you gotta buy a membership if you're gonna come in. But I'm in here. I'm inducted. I'm part of like, yeah, we don't care. Yeah. It's thirty five dollars a year <laughs> for a family membership or fifty for friends and family, and that entitles you to four admissions a year. To special things, and that's like you gotta pay. Well, that's like the stars on Hollywood Boulevard. It's like, hey, we're gonna give you a star on Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's gonna cost you three thousand dollars. Okay, I'm sorry. What? Yeah, you actually have yeah. to pay to have your star put on Hollywood Boulevard. Right. Yep. You're gonna give me a bill for this the star that you're giving me on Hollywood Boulevard. I like yeah. it. Yeah, which is probably why Kiss didn't go into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame until after their reunions, because right. like in the late '80s and early '90s. When you know before the Kiss reunions, Kiss wasn't doing so well. You know what I mean. So right. it's like, hey, we want to put you right. in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Ah, uh, yeah, we uh, actually can't afford that right now. I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has some sort of like tendril connection to Rolling Stone magazine, and Rolling Stone magazine yeah. famously hates Kiss, and I think they have a big problem with Rush too, which why it took them a long time to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Let, let me say this though: Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. Mm-hmm. That place is awesome. Oh, is it? I'm not even a big country music guy. But that place is astonishingly cool to go to. Spend days in yeah. there. I'm just going back to our good friends there, the Sex Pistols. Whatever they offered the Sex Pistols the spot to be put in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they true to form were like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> this week's episode of Twibbly is brought to you by Necessary Chances by Norman Duchesneau and published through Austin McCauley. Necessary Chances is a collection of 50-plus stories of actual events told exactly how they happened to the author. The stories span from more than 30 years in the field of law enforcement. As often as possible, the stories are told in a humorous manner because, well, we all deserve a laugh, don't we? The author hopes that this book might inspire one good man or woman to take up the shield someday. In today's world of miscommunication and misunderstanding, the author hopes that somehow, somewhere, a dialogue might open that wasn't there before. Necessary Chances has received 5 out of 5 star reviews on Amazon and Austin McCulley. Once again, thank you to Necessary Chances for sponsoring this week's episode. Available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and through Austin McCulley Publishing. Links will be in the show notes. All right, moving on to the celebrity birthdays. January the 17th, 1942, your friend and mine, Mr. Cassius Clay, better known to the world as Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time. Floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. The very same, yep. And refused to fight in Vietnam. Said it was it was against his religion to go to war. Yeah. And lost his boxing license for years because of it. Right, so he stuck to his guns, which... Meant not sticking to any guns, I guess. Right. Uh, Muhammad Ali, I mean, for Christ's sake, if you don't know who he is, who are you? Yeah. Really, really popularized boxing. I mean, boxing was always, you know, a, a very popular sport, but Muhammad Ali made it very watchable. He was uh, very entertaining to watch in the ring. He used to do the rope-a-dope and almost like dance in the ring, so to speak. Yep. And he was a big 
dude. Big, I mean, big and really fast. Yeah, and he was super tall too, which is another yeah. like you don't really see that in boxing. Yep, he always towered over funny. everybody. Yeah. It, it always struck me that he never like crossed over into film like uh, like thinking like ga- like in Game of Death where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar fights Bruce Lee. Yeah. You know, like that's the same time period where he was at the height of his fame and he could have made a transition into like those kind of weird pugilist type fighty roles. Right. And he never did it. Always stayed just as the boxer. Like that's what he does. He, I, I box. Yep. Uh, and, and he definitely could have done it because the guy was very charismatic too. Yep. All right. Next up. January 18th, 1858, a guy named Daniel Williams. He's a heart surgeon who first performed the very first open heart surgery. He was born in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. He did it early, early in the century and uh, sort of set the tone for how open heart surgery would work going forward and, and kind of get built on both in practice and technology until the time now where it's almost outpatient surgery. And how would you know about that, Mr. Jeff? I've had it. <laughs> I've had it once and i've got a defibrillator installed in me because uh, much like phil collins <laughs> rocking it out to illegal alien on a three-wheeled chair looking like grandpa simpson i have the heart of about a 90 year old guy whenever we do twibbly we'll have to wheel you out in a on a gurney like right. like hannibal lecter right. yeah right exactly yes <laughs> right and they bring me out in a wheelchair with a, a bunch of tubes stuck in me like hey everybody <laughs> say good night jeff <laughs> Say goodnight, Jeff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the screen behind us, you can have my EKG going just to make sure I'm still I'm still alive. All right, coming up on January the 19th, 1809, horror author extraordinaire, uh, born in Maryland, I believe, Edgar Allan Poe. Ah, yeah. One of the, the first, like, super great popular American writer mm. who died young and troubled. He looks like he was drawn by Warner Brothers. He just he definitely does. <laughs> he's, he's actually a guy who looks like the stories he wrote. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you, I bet you did write this. Like, yeah, that sounds like he had, you know what? I, I, I buy that. Yeah, it's like um, when you see a picture of him, he looks exactly like you thought he was going to look. Just like kind of like John Waters looks exactly like you, you think he's going to look. It just looks yes. so creepy, right? We were just talking about this uh, the other day. I, I had uh, lunch with two of my friends from grade school. who I, We had, had not been in the same room at the same time since eighth grade. We were talking about one of our teachers, Mrs. Philippe, who was seriously dark. I went to a Catholic school, and this woman took us to like Salem, Massachusetts, to the, the Witch Museum. That was our field trip, yeah. right? And I just remember one year for Halloween or around Halloween time, she read us the Telltale Heart from Edgar Allan Poe. Yep. Like I said, Catholic school, she was all, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how she got tenure, but she did. <laughs> Poe was like my dad's favorite writer, too. When I was a really little kid, I learned to read on his stories like when I was three or four, so I could read pretty well by the time I started school and knew some of his poems when I was a little kid, too, like Annabelle Lee and... and- He's always been somebody that I've kind of gone back to with a, a great amount of admiration because his writing never gets it never gets old. He has a lot of classical tradition in his style. He's a lot like Keats and Shelley and Lord Byron and stuff in his framing mm-hmm. and his classicist style, but he's able to make it weird and creepy and macabre in a way that they never could get close to. All right, moving on to the 20th. 
January 20th, 1952, the star child himself, good old Paul Stanley, who has been tearing up recent interviews by making me cackle at his commentary about Ace Frehley and Peter Chris. Yeah. Growing up, I, th- you know, I think everybody in Generation X was either a KISS fan or is too embarrassed to admit that they were a KISS fan. I would have been in the KISS army if my parents would have let yeah, me. Yeah, I would have. But yeah. I wasn't allowed to join any army. <laughs> they were like, no. And I'm like, but you just, it's like five bucks and you get a patch. And like, absolutely not. I'm like, but I can put it on my coat. And they're like, no, you can't. I'm like, but I want to be. And they, no. And then they gave me Sean Cassidy records. Thanks, Mom. Thanks a lot, Mom. Paul Stanley, growing up, was probably my least favorite of the uh, KISS uh, members. Probably because I thought his makeup was really lame while everybody else's was, you know, way more detailed. But as an adult, I went back and I read all of their autobiographies, or as I like to call them, the Gospels. And Paul Stanley's was my favorite. I think Paul Stanley is fantastic. I think he's a very admirable person. How's that? That works for me. Yeah. I like that he has a he has a good turn of phrase like Kiss would have never been successful in the beginning without Ace and Peter and Kiss would not be successful now with Ace and Peter still still in the band. Like all of these things are terrible things to say, but they're very, very funny. Yep. So, uh gotta love Paul Stanley. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes from him was the only people that are gonna tell you that you can't do something are the ones who failed. I'm not gonna tell you you can't do it, because I did it. Right. And also, uh, I think I've said this one before, my absolute favorite quote from Paul Stanley is, I love getting hate mail. I read it poolside. (laughs) All right, coming up on the 21st, another favorite for Generation X people and, and boomers as well. January 21st, 1924. Benny Hill, British comedian. Ah. Yeah, my first real foray into British comedy was Benny Hill because it was on in syndication. Right, on the UHF's channels when we were kids, yeah. It was what all of us nerdy kids watched and laughed about on the schoolyard and one of the other kids didn't watch it. Right, I think that was like our first like kind of foray into like dirty jokes. Yep. Not so much dirt or double entendre. Yeah. Right. Less less dirty but more cheeky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they weren't exactly they weren't like filthy jokes like Andrew Dice Clay. They were just like a little body, you know, something you could, you know, B-A-U-D-Y, not B-O-D-Y. A little body, yeah. a little uh, a little naughty kind of deal. Way, yeah, I mean, for its time, for the 1970s, I mean, that was like, <gasps> clutch my pearls. I can't believe he said that. But, I mean, by today's standards, it's very, very calm. You know, I introduced my kids to some of his stuff. I played like the Ernie, the fastest milk man in the west yep. song for them which has that really funny line he says oh i'll bring you past your eyes because past your eyes is best she said ernie i'd be happy if it went halfway up my chest <laughs> like that kind of humor is it still it has longevity yeah that other humor from that time kind of doesn't have because right. it's not tied to any like social events or current anything even monty python has stuff that's current events tied and Hill just didn't. Everything that he did was just ridiculous. Yep. I watched a biography on him, and he actually lived across the street from the studio where he re- where he filmed. Yep. So he literally would go to work, film, walk home, and just be- spend the rest of his off time writing jokes. Right. It's just what he loved to do. He died young, and he died a bit of a broken man because... Like his contracts were up and he wasn't really doing, you know, uh, as much, which is sad, but he will live forever in the hearts of, of us anyway, you know. January 22nd, 1906, pulp fantasy writer Robert E. Howard is born. You may not recognize his name. And I don't. Definitely recognize the name of the characters that he created. And 
the style of writing that he ultimately created, but he was the father of Conan the Barbarian. Aha! Cull the Conqueror, Bran MacMorn, dozens upon dozens of others. He was a contemporary and friend of H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, really? Yep. And a lot of his stories appeared in the same magazines where Lovecraft did, and he did some Cthulhu Universe stories as well. They had a long back-and-forth relationship in letters and phone calls. He was a phenomenally good writer. His short stories are like legendarily good and they they really are and he sets the stage for what would become sword and sorcery fiction but you'll see like almost every fantasy trope that you see in film today or entertainment today goes back to one of two sources tolkien or howard because he they both invented them and howard was way more like the pop culture gritty sort of the equivalent of like the spaghetti western type of story and tolkien wasn't he was more of a classical writer and his stuff is so breezy and fast and fun, well put together, that it just begs to be read out loud. He's a great writer. And if you follow the bouncing ball, if it wasn't for him, Arnold Schwarzenegger never would have been governor of California. True. <laughs> or as he likes to call it, California. California. And wrapping up the birthdays on January the 23rd, a man by the name of Fred Morrison, born in 1920. You may not recognize the name Fred Morrison. I don't. But Fred Morrison was the inventor of the Frisbee. Oh. Now, certainly everybody has played with a Frisbee at one point or another in their life. I have. I actually, whenever I was around 6th, 7th, 8th grade, I absolutely loved playing Frisbee with my friends. I mean, that was like our afternoon. I know a lot of kids played Frisbee, but we really played Frisbee. Like, it's funny. As we're talking about this, I remember saying the sentence like what are you doing this afternoon i'm gonna go play frisbee like and that makes perfect sense to me but if i say that to my children hey what are you guys gonna do we're gonna go play frisbee they'll just look at me and say like well we're gonna flim jab the flubes too because well i don't know what you just said but it doesn't sound like words that we know that isn't a thing anymore yeah we my friend craig and i would stand on opposite sides of the street he lived on a very slow street we'd put our boom box down with like adam and the ant on the cassette player and we'd just throw the frisbee back and forth to each other i actually had a very different throwing style than like most people most people start you know with their opposite shoulder and whip across yeah i always started by my side and I would flip it out like almost like a quick draw gun. It's yeah, it's that I I held it like a gun in a holster and would flip it out that way. Yeah, funny to think about. Like again, back when we were kids, parents were like, "What are you gonna do with your afternoon? You have homework? Yeah, I get some homework, but it's not. I don't have a lot. All right, well, go play. Go go here. Take the frisbee. Go go, go spend an hour standing kind of still, mm-hmm. throwing a plastic disc back and forth to one another and accomplish zilch. (laughs) Like, think about it. Like, the better you get at it, the less exercise you do. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Yes. I remember my friend Layton, like, introduced us to Ultimate Frisbee, and I played that all of once. uh, For Ultimate Frisbee is like a... It has rules. Who wants those? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like playing football with a frisbee and i was like right. this is way too much work i'm too good at this to be running around you know <laughs> right. yeah. dude i play frisbee i don't play ultimate frisbee yeah. come on there were so many other things that tried to be frisbee do you remember the i can't remember what the hell they were called but it was like a game with you you hold a like a net thing it's made of plastic and you like highlight a ball to somebody and the ball like oh, curls around yes i remember those 
I can't remember. I wanted those things. I would have. I would have sacrificed my brothers to the devil to get those yeah, as a kid. My friend. I would have had nobody to play with with no brothers. Yeah, but my friends uh, uh, on the next street over, they had that, and it had like the white ball, which kind of like kind of floated, and then it had like the yellow ball, which was heavier that you could you could really do some damage if you clock somebody in the noggin with that thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Uh, so as I mentioned on my boombox, we were listening to Adam and the Ants. I'm I'm quite sure. I know one cassette that never made its way into my boombox while playing frisbee, and that is the worst song ever. All right, young Jeff. Today on the worst song ever. Oh. Last week, we brought up Jennifer Love Hewitt and her Bare Naked album. Uh, we're going to follow this trend a couple of years backwards of actors recording albums. And what are you doing? Just what are you doing? And now we're going to be talking about Bruce Willis. Did you know Bruce Willis had an album? I do. it. I feel like that this is a... We've talked about another single from this horrifyingly terrible album sometime in the prehistory of this show. So, like, in the first few months, this one came up, and we talked about it and shat all over it, rightly so. Going back and listening to the song that we're going to talk about today from that same album, we clearly did not shit enough. <laughs> this is requiring, like, an Elvis Presley Highway 51. I stopped at all of the Dairy Queens between my house and Graceland, and therefore, now it's time for Bruce Willis. Okay, I got a question for you. What other song did we possibly talk about? Because the song we're going to talk about here is called Respect Yourself. Respect Yourself. What other song did we talk about? Because I didn't know of any other song. There was another single from this that's not this song. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about this, we did have this conversation, but it wasn't on the show. It was in your kitchen. Oh, it wasn't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It was just it was just in our regular flow of conversation yeah. when we're together. Like, you know, we run out of like interesting things to talk about. It's like, hey, you know what? Bruce Willis, that guy sucks yeah. and his records are terrible. That's well, yeah. here's the thing. That's about right. So Bruce Willis, not only did he put out this album, he had two albums, but before we go any further, let's just uh, let's play the, the clip from the single. This is Respect Yourself. And if Bruce Willis had any respect for himself, he would have recorded an album. This is terrible. Yeah, yeah. it's it's not good so at Bruce all. So Bruce Willis uh, at this time was not the huge major superstar that he was. He was about 30, 31 or so. He was on Moonlighting. He was on a TV show. Yeah. That was a very surreal show. It was a comedy. It was a drama. They would have like dream segments and stuff like that. And they would occasionally have musical numbers and Bruce Willis would sing. And then he also sang on a commercial for, like, Seagram's Wine Coolers. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do. Now, back in the mid-'80s, Bruce Willis was a very, very different star than what he is now. This is all pre-Die Hard. He puts out this album. It was on Motown Records. Yeah. And the whole album is a lot of, like, what you would expect from Motown, I guess. All right, let me say this. It sounds like mid-'80s Motown. Yes. Okay. Where Barry Gordy was like, you know what? Kind of not into this anymore. You guys just manage all this, this stuff. This is when it was Marion Barry Gordy is basically what it was. <laughs> 
it sounds like if a bunch of white Wall Street guys sort of took over in a hostile takeover Motown Records and said, we're just going to keep releasing records, but they're all going to sound like something that Patrick Bateman would talk about before beating <laughs> you to death with a sledgehammer in his living room. And the other thing, too, is I'm, I'm going to guess that Bruce Willis is a big fan of Motown. And seriously, if you're not, you're doing it wrong. Motown has got amazing stuff. I, I say that to myself a lot. I don't listen to enough Motown. But just because you're a big fan of something doesn't mean you should be doing it. For an example, yes. I'm a big fan of prog rock. I like the band Yes quite a bit. I'm not going to pick up a guitar and make an album trying to play Yes covers. It's going to come out sounding right. like The Return of Bruno, the Bruce Willis album. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, and I can't believe that like Juliet Pointer, who who's on this particular song, and I, and I think she's going to produce her credit on the record yes. too, didn't pull him aside at one point and go, Bruce, look, don't take this the wrong way, but you make Daryl Hall look like Bootsy Collins. <laughs> you have no, you're like Donnie No Soul Simmons. You are not good at this. <laughs> why don't you make it like? Why don't you do like the Sinatra stuff? Like that seems way more in your wheelhouse. Why don't you do you another Seagram's commercial. <laughs> Do another secret like fruity wine and ginger ale. That's way more you. You're not this. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, but I love the staple singers. And they're like, yeah, but they hate you and you suck. And so I'm over there looking up Bruce Willis on Spotify, like I tend to do with my uh, worst song ever artists over here. And he still gets roughly a hundred thousand monthly listens, and that's odd to me. But what's really odd to me is that Respect Yourself, which is the only song that I was familiar with, is the number three most popular song on his Spotify top five. What are the two above well, it? Well, here's the deal. Respect Yourself right. has under 100,000 listens. The two yep. above it are both in the five million range. Uh, n- right. Number two is a cover of Save the Last Dance for Me, which I've never heard. It's not even on the Return of Bruno album. It's on a other album that he recorded. Right. And then the number one song is his cover of Under the Boardwalk, right? So I'm doing the research for the show, and this is so hilarious to me. People Magazine gave the album a B-plus rating, right? And called Willis's cover of Under the Boardwalk surprisingly okay. Now, <laughs> I just want to ima- imagine, like, going to a restaurant, and they have, like, the, you know, the review, and that's, that's like, what the Phantom Gourmet said. Surprisingly... <laughs> Right. Surprisingly okay. Our pizza is surprisingly okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, no one died while I was there. <laughs> I think that you can explain I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I think you can explain the millions of hits for the preceding two songs for two reasons on Spotify. One is that they're both more recognizable songs, irrespective of who sings right. them. None of the boardwalk you hear, that's been covered 25 times, right? Save the Last Dance for Me. That one's been covered a bunch of times too. Both of those songs are still played all the time on Oldies Radio. They're creeping into what used to be classic rock radio and is now oldies radio too. And it doesn't surprise me that if somebody's got an 80s playlist, that it'll go and grab those because those two songs are more known than this like 70s funky soul hit by the Staple Singers, which is it's a great song. Respect Yourself is a good song when they do it. It's not a good song when he does it. The other thing, too, is like I've done this before where I type in the name of a song that I'm looking for and then there'll be like, you know, a bunch of different versions of that song. I think that's what happened. Somebody typed in under the boardwalk and they're like, Bruce Willis? That can't be. Is that Bruce Willis? Bruce Willis? Right. I think what you have is five million curiosity hits. The other part is is the algorithm that says like, oh, well, you listened to going to just pull like Huey Lewis and the News' sports record, but you didn't listen to the singles. You listened to a deep cut. Hey, you'll probably like this. And then you go, like, then the first I was like, Bruce Willis had a record. Yeah. Oh, that's right. 
I never bought that stupid tape. And then you said, oh, that's why. And you listen to the first 40 seconds of the song and then turn it off. Oh, my God. This is so going to happen to me, though. The Spotify, I'm going to have to buy, like, a secondary Spotify account because they're going to, like, uh, people who listen to Jennifer Love Hewitt and Bruce Willis also listen to. No, don't don't recommend me anything. I hate you. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it just says it just says login credentials not accepted. Yeah. Hey, I paid you eight dollars a month for access to this music. No. <laughs> All right. So before we wrap up the show, I do have the answer to my award-winning and always very popular trivia question. Uh, Halloween is a American holiday, and I'm also messing up my words here, and you'll see why in a second. But the phrase "trick or treat." is not American in origin. What is the country of origin of trick-or-treat? Well, I guessed Germany, and you said that I was wrong, which made me mad. Yep. So I'm going to guess again, and with consistency, I'm going to guess Germany. Hey, guess what? You're wrong again. <laughs> oh, man, it's twice. Yep. Uh, the country of origin, and this is why I said I should have chose my words a little differently, is Canada, which I guess could be considered oh. America. It is a North American country, so. But no, Canada is the country of. When you say America, we typically mean the United States thereof. Uh, but no, Canada is the country of origin of trick or treat. I don't know if it was originally associated with Halloween, but yeah, the country of origin, as far as my record show, is Canada. And it was first coined, I think it says here, around 1917. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. And it seems like a strange thing for the incredibly polite people of Canada to make that sort of ultimatum. Yeah. It's like, uh, trick or treat, uh, if you're okay with that. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, no trick really involved, I guess. We'll just give you a treat. A uh, treat? No? Oh, well, okay then. <laughs> That's kind of how Halloween it seems like it would yeah. go. Well, I'm going to give you one yeah. of our uh, really bizarre and crunchy bagels, if you don't mind. Yep. Mm. Here's a Tim Hortons gift card for you, kids. You look very nice dressed up as hockey players. This is a treat. Yep. (laughs) All right, but that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Hey, goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Make sure you spread the word and tell all your friends about the Twibbly podcast. Dan Quayle never listened to Twibbly and look what happened to him.